Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 7 on Noah's Ark with the 40-day storm and the 110 days of steady rain and rising, then 150 days of water disappearing, and then settling on Mount Ararat, and then Noah launching the raven experiment. Now, don't forget that this message is always available for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Go to our main website and download it for free, or you can also go to iTunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, as we're in the month of March, Passover will soon be here. And Tom Cantor, our Jewish born-again believer and teacher here on the Friendship with God radio program, has an incredible teaching on the Passover. It's called the personal relevance of the Passover. This insightful teaching on the Passover is like you've never heard it before. Now, this Passover teaching from Exodus 12 and Isaiah 53 from Tom Cantor brings to life the process and the passion of the Passover lamb for the Jewish people and the personal relevance of the Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us today and our lives. Now, it's a great gift to give any Christian or unbeliever at Easter and Passover time, and it's a great gift especially to give to any Jewish person that you know who may be searching for the truth and evidence of the Scriptures and who the Messiah really is at Passover time by asking the question, Where is your Lamb? Now, to get this teaching on the Passover from Tom Cantor, please call us today with a donation of $20 or more, and we'll send it to you for Passover and Easter time. Our number is 800 247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Again, it's 800-247-3051. Or you can also order this product online by going to our website at friendshipwithgod.org and clicking on our resources. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching. That makes us a watchman for them. God requires us to sound the gospel trumpet for them. Warn the lost about hell and how they have to enter into the ark, so to speak, while the door is open. Well, Noah was faithful. And Noah warned these men. In fact, Noah's name means rest. Noah's name means rest. And he mean, that means he is the rest giver. And he was offering rest to these people, just like the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where he said, Come unto me, all ye labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That was Noah's life. That was his life message, because that was the meaning of his name. So Noah's inside the ark, and in the ark, Noah is protected from the wrath of God. Verse 10. So now at verse 10, at the end, really at the end of verse 9, Noah and his family have entered into the ark, And they sit there, and it says in verse 10 that it came to pass after seven days. So they went in, it says in verse 16, male and females, God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Okay, so that's the same description that we had in verse 9, but in verse 10, it says there's a seven-day period. So there's a seven-day period that the flood doesn't happen. And what happens during those seven days from the time that they enter into the ark and God shuts them in till the waters start. That's an interesting seven days. You know, that's kind of a long time. Uh, well, not in comparison to all the time it's spent on the ark, but it's a, it's, a, it's a time. Let me tell you, it's a time. So you could call it a phase. It's a phase, phase one. You know, first day of phase one, phase one, seven days. First day of phase one is drama. You know, Noah, his family, all the animals are getting in the ark. God shuts the door. Everyone expects, okay. Let the waters begin, right? 
but nothing happens, and they just sit there. And then they think on the second day, well, surely the water's going to happen today. But nothing happens, and they just sit there. It's the second day, and it goes on for the third day and the fourth day, and nothing is happening. And we can imagine the dis- there might have been a discussion inside the ark about this. You know, Father, you're sure we got it right? You sure, you sure we're supposed to be here? We get here too early? You know, you sure the flood's coming? Noah says, we're doing what God told us to do. He knows what he's doing. We're trusting and obeying. If he says to sit in the ark for this, he didn't know how long it was going to be. If he says he's going to sit in the ark for this phase, this time, we sit in the ark. And we can imagine shouts from out the, outside, the outside. You know, like the sons-in-law of Lot, how they mocked. You know, so we can imagine the mockers also. Hey, Noah, how you doing in there? You safe? You know, it's a, he says, uh, Noah, the, you know, weather is, report looks good. It's all sunshine today. No flood today, Noah. You sure God didn't mislead you? You sure you didn't waste 140 years of your life, Noah? And they're pounding on the outside and, you know, oh, Noah, we're all drowning out here in the water. Save us, Noah. Save us from the terrible flood. There's no, nothing happens for seven days. It didn't matter. Because Noah was in the ark and he was trusting God. Didn't matter that he'd never seen a rain or a flood before and he was trusting God. Those seven days were just the calm before the storm. That's the first phase of the flood. Now, verse 10 and 11 is the next phase of the flood. As the water's on the earth, fountains broken up. So this describes the 40 days of storm days. Violent storm days as the waters of flood are on the earth. It suggests in verse 11 that great bodies of water were under the earth called the fountains of the great deep. And that somehow it describes here that those fountains were broke up. So they're just water just coming up from underneath the ground. And tremendous geysers, whatever, gushing and so forth. And it's coming up. And verse 11 goes on to speak of something that's never happened before, rain, and a torrential downpour of rain. It's called the windows of heaven were opened. And it says in verse 17 that this lasted for 40 long days, storm days. This was the time when the waters increased. And in verse 17, it talks about the ark, and it says it's lifted up, and it's rising as the, it's going up and higher and higher, and as the water's getting higher and higher, the ark is getting higher and higher, and uh, maybe they had this sense on the inside, you know, we're going, we're getting higher and higher, things are, we're going up and up, I don't know how far up they went, but uh, that's that phase, 40 days, storm days. Then, verses 18 through 24 are the next phase, and that lasts for about 110 days. And those are the days of the steady rain and the rising. You know, it just doesn't stop. It keeps coming. This is a time when there's a steady rain, and the waters keep on rising and rising and rising over the earth. And in verse 18, it says that the ark went upon the face of the waters. Literally, that reads, the ark walked on the face of the waters. It just walked. It moved somehow. I don't know. It walked on the face of the waters. And verse 19 tells us the waters rose about over 20 feet above the highest mountain. Now, it's not clear to us now what mountains were existing. We don't know if Mount Everest existed, and that would have put them at 32,000 feet, because it's unlikely that Noah brought oxygen on the ark. But anyways, it's theorized that the earth continued to have significant 
upheavals with erupting volcanoes for as much as 200 years after the ark. And that may have been the time when Mount Everest was formed. We don't know. But in verse 21, it tells us that God's intention was accomplished, was, which was all flesh died. But verse 23 is a wonderful picture for us by the way it's put. It says, they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. You know, picture ourselves as, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's risen from the dead, and as it says there, only those with him are alive in heaven. Everyone else outside of him perishes into an eternity of continual death. Now, verse 25 tells us again that the two phases of the storm days and the steady rain and the rising waters, they lasted 150 days. So that's 40 plus 110. All right? And then at the end of those 150 days, the water has reached its high point on the earth. And so you're inside the ark, and during those 150 days, it, uh, it's not an easy time. It's just not any, it takes patience. It's not an easy time. I wouldn't, I don't, I don't I, well, I mean, I wouldn't want to be there, but I wouldn't want to be out of it. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a necessary thing, but what can you say? So the next phase, which starts in verse one, chapter eight, verse one, is where God remembers Noah. And this is the phase of the disappearance of the waters. It starts with these words, and God remembered Noah. So after the 150 days of the, well, I guess it's seven, anyways, 150, we don't count those. So for 150 days, then we start this phase of the disappearance of the waters. And we're told in verse 1 that God made the waters to subside by a strong wind that passed over the earth. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just one moment. Now, our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, is not just a teacher, pastor, scientist, CEO, and 2009 Whistleblower of the Year award recipient winner. He is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, a Jewish evangelism ministry that has reached millions of lost Jewish people around the world, from the U.S. to South America to Israel and we've reached them with the gospel and Jewish materials so that they too might be saved. Now, Tom Cantor is a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to reach other Tom Cantors that need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We do that through free gospel gifts and messages that we offer for free. You can help us by supporting this Bible teaching radio program by calling us at 800-247-3051-800-247-3051. You know, picture ourselves as, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's risen from the dead. And as it says there, only those with him are alive in heaven. Everyone else outside of him perishes into an eternity of continual death. And so you're inside the ark, and during those 150 days, it, uh, it's not an easy time. It's just not any, it takes patience. It's not an easy time. I wouldn't, I don't, I don't I, well, I mean, I wouldn't want to be there, but I wouldn't want to be out of it. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a necessary thing, but what can you say? So in verse two, we're told that there was this stopping that took place. There was a stopping of the fountains of the great deep. 
And we're told that the rains stopped also. The rains were restrained. So with the stopping of the fountains of the great deep and the rain stopping and the wind, the waters gradually begin to collect into what we know today as oceans. They collect into the oceans. So now we start this new phase, as mentioned, which is the phase of the disappearance of the waters. And this lasts 150 days, we're told that. And it says in verse 4 of chapter 8 that the ark settles on Mount Ararat, which is in Turkey, near the border of Russia. Not the kind of place you want to go as a tourist, especially today. But you, you can figure out from verse 5 that the ark sits there on the top of Mount Ararat for about two months and 12 days. So it's kind of rested there. And that shows you how very slowly the waters were going down. It, was very, it took a long time. So every day, you know, Noah's sitting up there and he's looking out and his family is, the, see, the, the, that's where the phrase water, water everywhere comes from, you know. No, I don't think so. But anyway, they're just, <laughs> that's all they see is water. It's just water. So for two months and 12 days, they're looking and looking and all they see is water. And then, the, then questions, you can imagine, questions to Noah. Are you sure we'll ever see dry land again? Noah says again, you know, we trusted God in the past. We're going to trust him in the future. That's who we are. We are God trusters. And he didn't save us in this ark to let us die. But he's going to bring us to a new earth. So just be patient. Be patient. And we can imagine the excitement after two months and 12 days that they're sitting on top of Mount Ararat that finally they see the peaks of mountains popping up through the surface of the waters. That was a very exciting time for them. And they say, oh, look, you know, you can imagine. You see that? You know? And then they have to wait another 40 days because the water is going down very slowly. So now, verse 7, if you're Noah, what do you do during these 40 days after you've been on the ark for nearly a year and the ark was all very exciting and interesting at the beginning, but this has been a long time and it's getting a little old, you know, the ark. And so everybody's a little anxious to get off the ark. It's been a long time. So, you know, you feel trapped. You feel trapped like you're there. You know, you, what do you do when you feel trapped? You think about getting out. And that's what prisoners do. That's what they do. And that reminds me of the six months I was on chemotherapy. I felt trapped those six months. And I was thinking about getting off chemotherapy. And so they, they, feel, they felt trapped. And they started thinking about getting out. So here's Noah and the company. And they're feeling trapped. They've been in there for a long time. So they start to think about getting out. And the family turns to Noah and says, you got us into this. <laughs> now you get us out, you know. And, so, and Noah says to his family, don't worry. Don't worry that he was going to devise an experiment. See? Not just any experiment. He's very ingenious, Noah. He's smarter than the average inventor, Noah. Is. So he devises this experiment, Noah does. And he thinks to himself, I need to have a method to find out when it's safe to leave the ark. Because one thing I know, Noah's thinking to himself, once this door is open, nobody's coming back in. So, you know, it's very, very important he knows when to open the door. So he needs to find out when the earth is habitable, you know, without opening the ark. So he's thinking, after such a long time in the ark, and all these animals are kept alive, and we're all alive, it'd be just terrible for the door to be opened too soon, and we all die because nobody wants to get back in the ark. So one thing is for sure, uh, once the door's open, nobody's coming back. So anyway, 
because they'll all say, I'd rather die outside this ark. And, you know, it's been a long time. So Noah turns to his family and he says, I got it. He's got this ingenious experiment. He explains. He says, we'll turn a bird loose. And if the bird doesn't come back, then that means that the bird could live on the earth. And if the bird can live on the earth, then we can too. So the family is all very, has renewed confidence. And so they say, okay. So Noah then says to himself, now the question is, which bird shall we choose for my experiment? See? So he, he looks around the birds, and he sees the raven, and the, you know, he kind of glares at the raven. The raven glares at him. The raven and Noah have had a very bad relationship on the ark, see, because the raven makes a lot of noise and very messy. And so the raven knows what Noah's thinking. The raven doesn't feel welcome on the ark. It's very sad. Anyway, so he says to his family, I got it. He says, we'll let the raven loose, and he'll tell us if it's the right time for us to open the ark, the door of the ark, and also we'll get rid of the raven at the same time. So Noah says, we'll kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> Becomes a famous phrase after that. No. Uh, so, so Noah's family, you know, they tell Noah that they're, they're right behind him. You know, he should go do this. And so Noah, is that way Noah feels better, no mutiny. So he opens a window. Now Noah gets the raven ready. We can imagine they probably don't look at each other. They have a very bad relationship. And he gets ready to do the experiment. Now, first thing is recorded in verse 6 of chapter 8. It says, It came to pass in the end of 40 years that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. You know, that verse says that Noah opened the window uh, which he had made. I've always wondered about that verse. I mean, when it says that Noah opened the window which we had made, I've always said, why does it say the window that he had made? Who else would have made that window? Well, I mean, the whole ark was made by him, including the window. Maybe it's stating to us that this was the window that Noah made as opposed to the giant hole that everybody else was ready to make in this ark to get out. I don't know. But anyways, he opens the window that he'd made. And in verse 7, he releases, he says, he sent forth the raven in verse 7. So now we can imagine, you know, one hand he's got a hold of this raven, and the other hand he opens the window of the ark that he had made, and, and the raven, and they don't even look at each other, and he turns it loose. Okay? Now, it starts his experiment. Now we can imagine that Noah and his family are just, they're just watching this raven with intense interest. And it says in verse 7 that he sent forth the raven, which went, to, went forth to and fro. That's what it says. It went forth to and fro. Actually, the Hebrew word for went forth to and fro is the word yatsah, and it's used, not yatsar, yatsah, and it's used twice. So it's like yatsah means break out. It means break out. So it reads something like this. And he sent forth the raven which broke out and broke out. That's the way it's kind of reading. So the family's looking very intently at this raven, and they see the, the raven flying out of there like he's on a jailbreak, and Noah and the family come to the conclusion, there's no way that that raven's ever coming back here to the ark, probably because of the bad relationship with Noah, I don't know. But we can imagine the, the, the family didn't have to say anything. They just looked at Noah, and Noah realizes that he had to modify his experiment, see? Because he chose the wrong bird. So he didn't have the right bird. So he thinks to himself, well, maybe the raven would have returned if it loved its mate. But the raven just flew away. It's obvious that raven's not coming back here. And anyway, so Noah feels bad. And he realizes that from the way the raven flew, and the whole family saw that because of how it's described, that, well, for one thing, he's just endangered the future of all future ravens on the earth. Because he only had two. They were an unclean animal. And how do you know those ravens eventually found each other? 
I didn't know that. <laughs> we have ravens. <laughs> and so, okay. So anyway, so he feels very bad also because he realizes from, like I said, he realizes from the way the bird flew that he chose the wrong raven. He chose the wrong bird. Verse 8, it says he sees, uh, he sees that and he says, you know, I got to choose a bird. First of all, I need a clean bird, which, which there are seven of them, so I can afford to lose some. And second, I need a bird I have a good relationship with. And third, I need a bird who is going to be fond of its mate. And he'll return for its mate. So the dove, ah, that's a perfect bird. He thinks to himself, wonderful. So he goes in verse 8, he sends forth the dove from him to see if the waters were abated. So Noah and the family watch the dove now very carefully. They probably released it in the morning. It disappears, and they keep watching and watching. And you can imagine the shout that goes out, and he pulls the dove back into the ark, and Noah looks at his family, and, and he says, see, it worked. You know? But that's very disappointing, because that means they can't get off the ark. That's not a good news, so it means there's no dry ground. It's very trying of their patience, all this waiting and experiments and so forth, failed experiments, successful experiments, all the everything saying you can't get off the ark. So what this shows is that during this time when they're on the ark, Noah and his family, they needed patience. Patience. And it's very similar to what God told Habakkuk. He said, because, let me just put it this way, they had a vision, a chazon, a vision which means that they could see themselves getting off of that ark onto the new ark. They had the vision, but they couldn't see the vision because all they saw was water. And birds returning. And, but so it says in Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3, it says this. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. And then he said, For the vision is yet for an appointed time. And at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. They could have said those words to the family of Noah in there. We all have the vision of getting off this ark. And God has told us that. That's a promise from God. But even though we don't see it, Noah said, wait for it. Be patient. That's why it says in in Proverbs 29, 18, using the same word, where there is no vision, the people perish. So he repeats the experiment in verse 10. And he, first of all, he stays for another seven days. He waits, and he sends forth the dove out of the ark. And he, he doesn't send another raven. He learned from that experiment. You know, the ravens, we're finished with ravens. And now, in verse 11, the dove comes back. And here, and so you can imagine, you know, they're all looking for the dove. And the dove first appears, oh, wonderful. And then it says, and lo, like there's a big surprise, in her mouth is an olive leaf plucked off. And so we can imagine the dove there's released, and they're all watching that. And then the dove gets closer, and they can see, look, it's a leaf, it's a leaf. No, it's a leaf. And he takes it in, and he goes over it. He has an examination table Noah does on his ship. And he looks very carefully at the leaf, and he said, this is not just a waterlogged leaf. This is not just a leaf that was floating on the water for a long time. I'm examining very carefully where this leaf was attached to the branch, and I can see that it is plucked off. And so he's running around the ark saying, plucked off, plucked off, plucked off, which means that it was very fresh. And furthermore, it was an olive tree, and you can eat olives. I don't know if you like olives. I like olives. So that was a tree for food. So that was a message that God was saying to him. You're going to get off the ark. There's going to be food there. A good thing is going to happen. 
And then, finally, in verse 12, he releases the dove, and the dove doesn't come back. Never know why the dove didn't come back. Maybe you have a bad relationship with its mate. I don't know. Doves always stay together. But anyway, that's what happened. And so now, they're ready to leave the ark. And that's the place where we'll stop this morning. Father, thank you so much for being faithful by, first of all, Lord, giving the command to enter the ark, giving the promise, Lord, that they would come out on dry land for keeping them. Thank you for the example of Noah and his family, such a long time on the ark, but you gave them patience, they exercised patience, and we pray, Lord, that we in our lives could be like them and be patient and trust God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We get such great teaching here on Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And if you would like to support this Bible teaching radio program staying on the air, you can donate by calling us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Remember, 100% of your donation goes towards... Jewish evangelism and keeping this Bible teaching radio program on the air. None of it's kept for administration costs or fees or anything like that. It's 100% tax deductible. So please consider donating to Friendship with God and continuing this wonderful Bible teaching radio program on this station in your city. We need your help. Call us 800-247-3051. And with any donation of $20 or more, we are offering Tom Cantor's teaching on the personal relevance of the Passover from Isaiah 53 and Exodus 12. So if you'd like to get teaching on the Passover from Tom Cantor, a donation of $20 or more, we'll send that to you. Or you can just donate and help support this Bible teaching radio program. Again, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org.